Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, May 12th, 2016. Broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Boston, Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery, beantownathletics.com. Joining me on today's show is Boston Red Sox President Sam Kennedy. I was at Fenway earlier this week, and I sat down with Sam Kennedy. We had a good conversation. I'm going to play that conversation for you in just a few minutes. In fact, this isn't the first time Sam Kennedy's on this show. He actually joined me in studio here at Beantown Athletics a little over a year ago, last April, April of 2015, uh, right before or right at the beginning of the regular season last year. He came into Beantown Athletics. We recorded a podcast. I think it was like an hour long. Uh, it was some great stuff. One of the one of my favorite shows that I've done since we've rebranded this show as the Danny Picard Show. Make sure you go back if you want uh, to dannypicard.com. You can just search on the website, Sam Kennedy. That show will pop up. Or subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Google Play Music Store, anywhere podcasts are available, and you can go back in the archives and listen. Uh, Last time Sam was on the show, though, he had a different title. He was Executive Vice President and COO of the Red Sox. He is now the president. And, you know, what I loved about the last show that we did was not just that he came into the studio, because if you listen to me, you know, I'd... I'd rather have somebody, I prefer somebody coming in studio than doing it over the phone, or at least I prefer sitting down with them face-to-face. I think it makes for a much more comfortable conversation on both ends, and so that's why, you know, I could have done the Sam Kennedy conversation again, sort of state of the Red Sox convo. I could have done it over the phone, but I'd rather do it in person. Uh, So he invited me into Fenway. I went to Fenway, and I'm going to play that for you in just a few minutes. But what I liked about our previous conversation when he came in last year was, you know, a couple things we were talking about. One was the John Lester situation. I thought it was very eye-opening from his perspective. He actually flew down uh, with ownership, and, and they met with John Lester, and they made the pitch. He talked about that pitch. Now, as we know, it didn't work out. But what I wanted to get really from him with that story was like I asked him how cool is what you do I mean you're from the area you grew up right down the street from Fenway Park and here you are flying to John Lester's house to basically try to get him to come back to the Red Sox I mean I asked him how cool is that and his answer was great I'm telling you you need to go listen to his answer because I guess I'll tease it it includes an f-bomb and maybe I started the f-bombs there with that answer but I thought it was great I got, you know, the at the time, the executive vice president and COO of the Red Sox here in my podcast studio throwing F-bombs. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't a bad F-bomb. Are there good and bad F, F-bombs? Well, if there are, it was a good F-bomb, an entertaining F-bomb. And every once in a while, as you know, if you listen to the show, I let them slip because we can. But that was... That was a great conversation that I had with Sam the last time in this studio and just as good earlier this week at Fenway. So before I get to that conversation and play that for you, I also want to let you know today's show presented by SeatGeek. SeatGeek has made it easier than ever before to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. What's great about SeatGeek is the price you see is the price you get. Most sites are going to try to surprise you at checkout with these outrageous fees but not SeatGeek. And if you download the free SeatGeek app right now, 
you get a $20 rebate on tickets by using the promo code Picard. That's right. Picard is in my last name. And if you're listening here in Boston, I'll remind you that the Red Sox are home all weekend. They begin a four-game series with the Houston Astros tonight before they travel to Kansas City for a three-game series beginning on Monday against the Royals. This should be an interesting one with Houston. The Red Sox took two of three from the Astros two weeks ago, two weekends ago in Houston. You can remember that series. Colby Rasmus was just ripping the cover off the ball. He hit a huge grand slam off of Clay Buckholtz. He hit a huge home run off Craig Kimbrell. Uh, the Red Sox still won two of three, mainly due to Jackie Bradley Jr.'s heroics, right, in that extra innings game uh, with the game-winning hit in that one, in which the Red Sox won at 7 to five in what, 12 innings, I think. So this should be an exciting series. I look at the Houston Astros and you look at the standings in the AL West. The AL West isn't playing out the way I thought it would play out. Like I thought Houston would be the the top team, or one of the top teams in this division. They're not right now, but they're not completely out of it. There's so much time left. I think Houston is such a young, talented team that maybe you got to give them some time and some benefit of the doubt. I do think the Astros will turn it on. Uh, So they come to Fenway in a four-game set. If you want to go to this one, make sure you get the free SeatGeek app right now. And as I mentioned, $20 rebate on tickets by using the promo code PICARD. Also, every ticket is given a grade, and you're able to use their detailed map to see the view from your seat. I always put that to good use, whether it's a game or a concert. And SeatGeek is always the first place I go to look for tickets. It should be the first place you go as well. So here's my conversation with Red Sox president Sam Kennedy. Enjoy and stick around afterwards. All right, so I am currently sitting in what you would call the Oval Office here at Fenway Park, uh, overlooking the field from inside the office of Sam Kennedy, Boston Red Sox president. Uh, Sam, I'm a little overwhelmed being in this room right now, looking at the ballpark through this glass. Well, it's great to have you here, Danny. Thanks for uh, making the trek. It's no Beantown Athletics, uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's great to have you here. Last time we talked was a little over a year ago inside my studio at Beantown Athletics. You came in studio, did a podcast with me, and don't worry, I won't get you to throw any F-bombs on this one. Thank I kind of dragged you into that one on the last show. Y- y- you were good. I was a, I was a <laughs> podcast rookie. I have a little bit more experience now, so I appreciate that. And the last time I talked to you, Sam, uh, you were executive vice president, COO of the Red Sox, and here you are now, the president of the Boston Red Sox. What's different? I mean, like, what? what's the biggest adjustment that you had to make stepping into this role? Well, you know, it's been different in that w- when you've worked for someone uh, like a Larry Lucchino for 20 years and you sort of have that person down the hallway and you're always running down and bouncing ideas off of each other and maybe in my case getting barked at by him a couple times. Uh, Larry's <laughs> not afraid to do that. Uh, that That's different. Uh, but honestly, a lot uh, is the same. We have about 300 men and women that make up the Red Sox organization. I've been here 15 years. This is my 15th season. Um, So not a lot's changed. I'm in the city that I'm from, the city that I love, uh, and we've got uh, great continuity and stability in the front office. We obviously had a major change uh, in baseball operations with Dave 
coming in. We could talk about that. But um, it's been uh, very stable with John Henry and Tom Werner and their partners owning the team since we all arrived back in 2002. So um, not a lot's changed other than the fact that uh, obviously now I report directly to ownership uh, to John Henry and Tom Werner. Uh, but given I've worked with them for 15 years, you sort of know the expectations. We all know the expectations in this town. Yeah. Uh, Dave Dombrowski, you mentioned him. How... How would you describe the job that he's done so far in the very early stages yeah. with this team? Well, you know, first of all, he's uh, he's a baseball lifer. Uh, this guy, it's incredible. After working in baseball, I think he's been in the game 37 years, always uh, in, in in running baseball uh, organizations, baseball operations, whether it was the White Sox, the Marlins, uh, the Tigers, now the Red Sox. This guy watches every single pitch. Uh, he go, When the team's on the road, he either goes with them uh, or he goes down to see our minor league affiliates. Mm-hmm. He eats, sleeps, breathes baseball. Baseball, uh, which you should do in in that role. Frankly, he loves the game. He's a passionate baseball person. He's from the Midwest, so he's an extremely nice man. Uh, he's a gentleman. Um, he's got great relationships throughout the game. Uh, when he came in in August, it was a good timing because he had the opportunity to really evaluate not only the front office staff that he inherited in the baseball operations department, but the staff in the clubhouse, mm-hmm. the staff on the field, uh, folks at the minor league level, and he was able to really observe and so things in so when we got to the off season uh, unfortunately that came early last year he was able to sort of uh, lay out the goals for the group and then go attack them and he did that you know he signed that starting uh, pitcher the number one guy top of the rotation he got the bullpen back into the bullpen solidified made another deal where Carson Smith and Ronis Elias came over he signed that fourth outfielder and Chris Young so he knew what he wanted to do and then he was able to go out and execute and we've had off seasons with change where things don't go that smoothly because you get started late. The baseball calendar is sort of set, and things really kick in right after the World Series. You need to be ready to go with your plan. So Dave came in. I think he's done a great job. Uh, I think that the clubhouse has responded well to his arrival. The baseball operations department has responded well. Uh, Frankly, a huge tip of the cap to Dave for promoting Mike Hazen to general manager. Mm -hmm. Mike's a longtime uh, Red Sox employee. He's from here, knows the organization inside and out. I think that says a lot for what we've built here, that that Dave recognized Mike's talents and the people around Mike to promote him to that job. And Dombrowski, I mean, right away, one of the first moves he made putting Hanley Ramirez at first base, having him at least work out at first base. And we'll get to Hanley and, and what he's done this season because Hanley's proven me wrong. He's proven me wrong so far this season. I kind of crushed him at the beginning of spring training, and I thought his attitude, taking that first optional weekend to go to Miami, I didn't like it because he was going to a new position. I wanted to see him committed there. But, hey, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you he's proven me wrong, and I'm glad he is. We'll get to him, but that's one of the first moves that Dave Dombrowski made. What that showed me was, and we kind of knew this seeing some of the moves he's made with other organizations, especially with Detroit, he's got guts. Yeah. You know, he has guts. He, he's, gonna, he's not afraid to make the big move. You saw it with Craig Kimbrell, trades four prospects. David Price brings him in. You mentioned Carson Smith and some of the other moves he made. But, I mean, did you – is that one of the reasons why you went out and, and, and brought him in because he has guts and, and he has the balls to make moves like that? Yeah, well, I think he has the experience, the knowledge, the relationships. This guy has been, as I mentioned, in the game for nearly four decades. So, yeah, he he knows what we're trying to do here, and that's win consistently, uh, play baseball. You know you're not going to win the World Series every year. We'd love to, but we should be able to in this market – 
play competitive baseball all season long, get into October, and then you know as well as anybody the randomness of the the tournament, if you will, in October. Yeah. You give yourself a chance to win a World Series. So, so yeah. So Dave uh, was available. Um, he had a, a falling out in Detroit. He was on the market for a brief period of time. Um, he had a, a prior relationship uh, with all of us, but really a close relationship with John Henry, who he worked very closely with in Florida. Mm-hmm. So that certainly helped. It's like any industry; you have relationships and you know people from a prior life. Um, so yeah, he. he came in and and he recognizes the sense of urgency that Red Sox ownership and we in management have uh, to to make sure that we're giving our fans what they deserve. And that's a great product on the field. And look, it's easy to say that, but it's another thing to go out and do that. You mentioned the tournament, uh, the playoffs, the postseason, whatever you want to call it, to get to the World Series and eventually win it, you need pitching. And that's evident that you guys obviously believe that. And he believes it too by giving big money to David Price when we talked on my podcast last, I was very intrigued by the story you told me about how you were sort of involved in the John Lester talks. You flew down with ownership to his house. You gave him the pitch to come back and, and come back to Boston after you traded him at the deadline. Were you as involved in, in this David Price situation as you were the John Lester? Yeah, well, given that I was involved in the John Lester situation, I'm surprised that they uh, allowed me to be involved <laughs> with the David Price situation. Uh, look, I, I play uh, a very small role in the evaluation or judgment of baseball talent. That's not my background. It's not my expertise. But to the extent that there is uh, a deal that involves those types of resources or it impacts our budget, our operating budget, um, I am absolutely involved. And Dave and I work very closely together uh, on uh, the baseball ops budget for this year, uh, working with John and Tom, presenting them different scenarios. Um, But in terms of the evaluation, the judgment, the roster construction at the major league level, uh, trades, uh, folks to target in free agency, um, the draft, scouting, development, that is Dave's domain. Mm -hmm. Uh, My job as the president of the club is to really run the organization, make sure that Dave and the baseball ops crew... uh, uh, the men and women that work in baseball ops have the resources that they need to go out and be competitive. So that means running a great business, making sure that we have the revenues and the resources to get done what we need to, to get done. Uh, but when we went to Nashville to recruit David Price, we all went down because we wanted to show him that from the principal owner, John Henry, to the president of the team, to the president of baseball operations, to the general manager, to the special assistant to the general manager, yeah. um, we had a, a contingent of people because we felt it was important that David Price Price, uh, we would be able to answer any questions he might have about the organization, not just baseball related, lifestyle, Fenway Park, spring training, mm-hmm. um, where to live, you know, around Boston. A lot goes into it. When you're uh, a player, the caliber of David Price, and you have a lot of choices, which he did, we wanted to make sure we put our best foot forward. Uh, and we were able to do that uh, that night in Nashville. And then uh, Dave and Mike Hazen negotiated with Bo McKinnis, and they handled that negotiation. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, from an ownership level on down, we were all a part of that because it's such a big decision for the franchise. And I ask that question, and some people might say, well, no kidding, Danny, the president's involved in something like that, signing a pitch at $30 million a year. I, I get that, but the sense that I got when I talked to you last year with the John Lester situation was what you just mentioned, everybody sort of traveling down. I feel like at least this is me from the outside looking in, and I don't know what every organization's like, and you might not either, but I do feel like that's a unique that, that's a unique thing to see around professional sports where 
you get the whole crew. All right, everybody pack up. Let's go. We're all going down as a big group as opposed to just the GM or the president of baseball operations and, yeah. and one of the owners meeting with an agent or a player. Like, I, Am I correct with that, that you guys do things in a unique fashion where you all go down and visit with that player that you're interested in? You know, it's a good question. I think we, I actually don't know how um, other teams handle free agent discussions and negotiations just because I've been here for so long. But given the uh, unique relationship that um, I had with Theo Epstein, who was our GM back when we uh, arrived before, um, well, before that was Mike Port. But, um, you know, Theo took over. And given the fact we had grown up together and worked together in San Diego, we had a very close relationship, obviously, through that got to know Ben Sherrington mm. so I think that you know one of the things that uh, Larry Lucchino is, uh, is is famous for is making sure that a baseball organization puts value and, and emphasis on all areas of the front office not just the baseball operation the 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 sales the marketing the human resources, the PR, legal, you know, finance, whatever it is, th this is a team effort. Again, there are 300 plus men and women that make up a whole organization and everyone has to be contributing, not just uh, the general manager. Obviously, the general manager, president of baseball ops are going to get sort of the, the, the responsibility for making judgment and evaluation. And that's exactly right and they should get the media attention and the focus because really they do make those those calls that's why it's a really difficult yeah. job I just ask Dave Dombrowski who goes to Dunkin Donuts every morning at Kenmore Square and gets uh, you know uh, a few comments and uh, hey, that's a free John read Farrell. for Dunkin Donuts yeah. all right no more of that no more free <laughs> reads for Dunkies here come e on now. everybody knows I'm a Dunkin guy <laughs> me too uh, I am too it, yeah, well, Dunkies you, you owe me some money after this <laughs> but it, it's um, it's it's really important and I've, that's one one of the many, many things I've taken from Larry is is that we need to make sure that we value every aspect of it because it all goes together. We have to, in order to have those revenues to reinvest in the in the baseball uh, operation, you have to have a great sponsorship group, a great marketing department, great ticket sellers. You have to have a group that can pull off concerts or outdoor ice hockey or whatever we're doing here, Fenway Big Air. Yeah. Um, and, and so it all kind of goes together. And one of the great things about Dave uh, Dombrowski and Mike Hazen is, you know, we're small enough, but we all work together. We really enjoy enjoy each other's company and, and, and working uh, hard towards that common goal. And, and they like that, uh, that team approach. Um, so you, you, we talked David Dombrowski and then David Price, and, and here's where we are right now in the month of May. And Price is struggling, you know, because he's been asked to be the ace. That's obviously a huge story. I've made it a huge story, and, and I won't lie. You know, I was on WEI over the weekend, my podcast all this week. I have a growing concern with David Price with the lack of velocity, but the latest story is that they, they feel like they found something. I mean, what, what's going through your mind when, not that they found something, but the fact that Dustin Pedroia was the guy who found it watching video. I mean, are you surprised by that? Do you guys walk around up here in this, in this office going, wait a minute, why is Dustin Pedroia the guy who finds this? And, and how does this happen? I mean, I guess it's great because Dustin Pedroia found something with Mike Napoli's swing last year. I do think this is a little different where you're asking more out of David Price right now than you were asking from Mike Napoli last season. I guess I question, how is Dustin Pedroia the guy that finds this? And what's your reaction when you hear a story like that? Well, not surprised because Dustin Pedroia 
if you could, would walk up here and give me input and advice on how we build the budget. Uh, and if I'm using an Excel spreadsheet properly or building a PowerPoint the right way. I mean, Petey is, that's why I love him. He's one of my all-time favorite players because he is a, 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 an ultimate team player. This guy wants to do everything he possibly can to win a baseball game. You know, he's here at 11 o'clock in the morning for a 7-10 yeah. start. The guy's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So, look, I, I don't know what... PD saw or didn't see. Um, we'll see how it plays we'll out. Find out. David Price, you know, I can, you know, being in the American League East for so long, you've watched him with your own eyes. I've watched him with my own eyes. Um, you know, is it concerning that he's got off to a bad start? Sure. I mean, he's not happy. He's the first to tell you. That's what I, one of the things I love about him is he owns it. He's accountable. Um, and he's a, just an unbelievable teammate. You saw him in the top step of the dugout at Yankee Stadium, for example, in a game he's not playing. And he, this guy is all in. Um, and, I, you know, I, I feel confident that he's going to get things going here and, and start to turn it around. But, look, when you make this type of an investment as an organization, uh, you, you have high, high expectations. And that's, that's clear. Uh, the task at hand uh, is clear and, and hopefully things will, will start to get better and look the American League East is going to be tough it's going to be very dog competitive all the way to the fight. end yeah. so every game sure. that's why Friday night New York we were all so upset Friday night right because every single game is is critical yeah that call I can't believe it and you know what it's not even it wasn't even the 3-2 pitch Sam the 3-2 pitch to me it wasn't a strike but I think the world that we live in in which umpires don't like people showing them up I I'm you know, you say to yourself, if he doesn't swing at something close, this umpire is going to, he's going to call this strike three. It's the three, one pitch. I mean, I could not, on no, I don't care what the K zone says. And I don't know how you feel about the pit zone, but I cannot stand seeing it every single pitch. Every once in a while, fine. I can't stand, stand at every single pitch. That three, one pitch was, I don't want to live in a baseball world where that is called the strike. Well, look, it's one of the things that makes baseball so great is the human element. We all know that. Now we've got replay introduced into the game. That makes it really difficult because yeah. you use replay to get the calls right, mm -hmm. but you have replay for some calls and not for other calls. You can't have a 17-hour baseball game where you're reviewing balls and strikes, right? So it's it's really tricky. Was I angry, upset, frustrated? Absolutely yes. Everyone was, um, but I will say that, you know, what do we teach our kids? Do you go and, and blame the umpire? You can be upset, yeah, but we had chances to score earlier in the yeah, game. I think left 12 on base. Yeah, we, we had three singles in a row in the sixth inning. We mm -hmm. didn't scratch a run across. So, look, but but believe me, that, that said, I, I it still hurts that we <laughs> lost that game because it was a game I felt that should have been tied up at the moment. Again, I don't want to get myself in trouble with the powers that be uh, at Major League Baseball because I know they have a really hard task. It's not an easy thing. And umpires, you know, look, that's that, that's an age-old topic, right? Talking about umpires and getting calls right or wrong. It's really tr tricky and difficult. Um, but was it frustrating? Yes, it was frustrating. Uh, the other storyline with this team this season has been, and I go back to what I mentioned at the beginning of spring training, Pablo... Hanley, their situation because and the biggest thing with them is sure money is a topic and I'm going to get to that in a minute and ask you about that but the reason I think we get more you know mostly fight up when they either say something wrong or, or do something wrong or, or the attitude isn't great it's because they didn't produce last year it all comes back to production to me at least because if they produced last year 
then I don't even care what they do or say coming into spring training because I know that they came, got their money, and they're here to play. But, I mean, are you, are you tired of hearing the Pablo Sandoval questions? Are you tired of getting those right now? Because he's injured, and, and people t- try to say, well, if he... Look, I crushed Pablo at the beginning of spring training. He didn't prove me wrong, but at the same time, you find out he's got a shoulder injury. I'm not going to... I don't think I'm going to put that on a weight issue or not working out because the most fit guy in the clubhouse can injure his shoulder, you know, one day doing bench press, shoulder press. You could do anything out there and injure your shoulder. So I don't know that that has anything to do with his workout philosophy. Um, but I mean, are you sick of the Sandoval questions right now? Do you get sick of them? Well, it's, it's, I don't know if sick of it is right. Cause it's fair to ask the hard questions. I mean, that's what makes this, it's why I love Boston so much, right? I mean, you don't want to work in baseball anywhere other than Boston. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just where you want to be. Yeah. I've worked for the San Diego Padres. I've worked for the New York Yankees. I am now in the, we are in the best baseball market on planet earth because of the passion, because people care. So you don't get sick of it. You understand why people ask the questions. You just laid them out. If, if we fail uh, to meet expectations as an organization, the fans, the media have every right to get on us. So what, what you, what's, and disappointing might even be strong, but there's so many positive things happening with this team. Um, at the end of the day, Pablo Sandoval is injured. Uh, Dr. James Andrews is a pretty good doctor. Mm-hmm. I'm not a doctor. Uh, obviously, this guy needed to have that shoulder labrum repaired. It's a tough surgery. He's going to be out for the rest of the year. We're going to do everything we can to get him back healthy. Hopefully, he will do everything he can to get back, get healthy for next year. Uh, but right now, the focus is on what's going on on, on on the field. And I think you know the attention has turned to the, to this team and, and the positives. Um, but uh, it, it, the questions that continue to come up, the storyline um, is is understandable given the investment and mm-hmm. given the passion for this team. And and this guy has performed at the highest level in October. So, you know, we did have high expectations for him and those expectations continue and hopefully next year uh, it'll be a different story. Yeah, I mean, I had high expectations for him too. I was willing to give him another shot this year even though he didn't produce last year. But, I mean, the way I look at it is a couple things. One, you know, when you show up like that, saying some of those things, I didn't like him saying that that – you know, he had nothing to prove because I did feel like he has something to prove in this town. This is a new town. I know what you did before. I wanted you guys to sign him. I actually was all for the Pablo Sandoval signing, and I'm willing to give him another shot this year. But he's hurt now, and the way I look at it is, hey, out of sight, out of mind. He lost his job in spring training. This team has the most wins, at least as we're doing this podcast, in the American League East, American League East. So, you know, technically right now on the field, it's not like this is hurting him. It's unfortunate he has an injury, but because he's injured, to me, out of sight, out of mind. But the question I have is, because people will see him out of sight, not playing, injured, out for the season, not producing last year. They look at the contract. It's a real thing. That's big money, obviously. You know, close to $20 million, nearly $20 million a season. My question has always been, and look, I every single day on my podcast, I try to put myself, myself in the shoes of the GM of the Red Sox, president of baseball operations, the president of the Red Sox. I tr- try to put myself in your shoes. Imaginary GM is a tough job, you know. I mean, it's <laughs> takes a lot it's of time. It's not an easy task, but when <laughs> I do it, I always say this about the Red Sox. Just because you're paying a guy this big contract and he is out of sight because he's hurt and he might not be producing the way you want, that's not going to prevent you guys. That's not going to prevent the Red Sox from going out and signing another guy to a big contract this winter 
or trading for someone at this year's deadline who might be due up to get a big p- contract, whether it be arbitration eligible, getting big money, or ready for a long-term deal. Like, So it, my question is, is that true? Does, does something like the Sandoval contract, paying, giving him that deal in which he's going to make close to $20 million a season, and he's out of sight, he's hurt, I mean, does that deal affect what you guys will do moving forward with other contracts? I say, I, I seem to think that it, it won't, but will it? It's a great question. Um, and look, the one consistent thing since 2002, I, I've been here since um, March of 2002, this organization has consistently demonstrated, and I was talking specifically about John Henry and Tom Werner, because this is the, 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 fin- the big financial commitments that get made. Let's be clear. Whether Theo Epstein is your general manager, Ben Sherrington, now Dave Dombrowski running uh, baseball operations, there is no major decision related to player payroll or a massive $300 million in private investment into Fenway Park, um, building a, a new spring training complex down at Fort Myers. Uh, John Henry and Tom Werner uh, are the owners of this team, and they need to make those financial commitments. Um, the baseball evaluation, the judgment, the roster mm-hmm. construction, that falls to, to the baseball folks. But these guys have demonstrated consistently since 2002 a willingness to invest heavily at the major league level, in the minor league level, in the international draft, uh, in scouting and player development. So as a Red Sox fan, as someone who grew up a mile from this ballpark, um, I I think it it is so um, incredible to be living in an era where we have ownership willing to commit the resources. So uh, they've never shied away from that. That said, yes, contracts do impact your overall budget and your ability to spend. Um, but I, I can say with certainty there is not a, a concern uh, for the 2016 Red Sox or 17 Red Sox that we are limited or going to be hamstrung uh, by any one individual move. We look at every big decision in the totality of what's best for the organization. And we've made some mistakes, obviously, in the past, and we've made uh, some great decisions that mm-hmm. have worked out. So um, you need to look at, at the track record of, of this ownership group uh, to get your answer. And I think you'll see the answer is uh, there is a willingness to do what it takes to be competitive uh, in the American League East and in Major League Baseball. Yeah, because uh, people get worked up about the money, and not just Pablo, but Rusne Casillo, because he's out of sight right now, too. And I say, don't get so worked up about that number, because it's not like this team is going to go into next winter and say, no, we can't spend this much money because we're spending it on Pablo Sandoval and Rusne Castillo and they're not doing anything for us. Like, I, I just, I don't get that mindset. I look at this as a big market ball club. And like you said, the history shows, you, you know, the money's going to be spent. I don't think that stops just because of a couple contracts that maybe aren't working out for you, right? That, no, that that's right. And, and you know, look, that said, we do, we are responsible for um, these decisions. And so no one is shying away from decisions that, that, uh, that haven't worked out. Um, but these contracts and, and decisions in general are mm. always best evaluated sort of with, with 
hindsight being 2020. And so, you know, when you look at a specific player contract, you know, whether it's going back to, you know, a Johnny Damon or a Manny Ramirez or, or a John Lester, or John Lackey, you know, in our time here, uh, uh, you know, there's just been so many contracts, Carl Crawford, uh, Adrian Gonzalez. I mean, you can look at all sorts of contracts and make your own judgments and evaluations. That's what's so great, again, about baseball in this market. What I like to point to or, or, or think about is, are, are we doing the right things by our fan base? And that means investing in baseball operations, investing in the fan experience at Fenway Park, investing in the community and making sure that we're doing the right things with the Red Sox Foundation. That's really our responsibility. Those are the three things uh, that I focus on each and every day. Uh, and if we can look ourselves in the mirror and say we're doing those three things, uh, I know that we're doing right by uh, the fans that are spending their hard-earned money to come to Fenway Park night in and night out. Mm-hmm. Don't ever think, because your, your listeners are uh, probably uh, – a younger uh, demo uh, than most, I would think, given your your appeal. Um, so, you know, you and I talked about this the last time we got together. I, I would come down to Fenway and uh, either use my dad's clergy pass to get in for two bucks or find <laughs> a, a ticket from a cop who had taken it from a scalper to come in uh, or buy standing room. And, you know, we, we want that experience. We want kids like me and you coming here getting into Fenway Park and falling in love with baseball because it's more than just the 2016 team. It's really Fenway, the whole experience, uh, and passing it down generation to generation. That's what's so special about Red Sox baseball. And right now, people come in and they want David Ortiz because this is the farewell tour. How is the David Ortiz, Big Poppy farewell tour going right now in, in your eyes? Because in my eyes, obviously... Uh, it's great. It's a great experience, but you have some other things to think of with regards to the business of it and selling the farewell tour. And and I guess the question I have for you is, do you look at David Ortiz playing this well and think, wow, maybe this isn't it? (laughs) I mean, because that's a question everybody has. Like, like he's playing so well right now that everybody wants to know, well, is he really going to retire? And, and pe- some people think that he probably shouldn't. Yeah. Dave Dombrowski and I were talking about this uh, for uh, o- over our Dunkin' Donuts coffee the other day. Sorry, don't, don't, uh, no free reads. <laughs> um, we're saying, you know, God, the guy hits 30 home runs and has 100 RBI. You know, is, is he really <laughs> going to retire? Look, all I can tell you is what he's told us uh, and what he said publicly, what conversations we've had um, directly with him that have been internal within the organization. Yet, no, he's he's retiring. One of the things he said, uh, I think, when it was no, it was November when he when he um, let us know when we all were surprised. He went to see Rob Manfred down in New York. Told Rob personally, Rob was surprised. Uh, was that he wanted to go out when he was healthy at the top of his game and hopefully winning a World Series championship. So he is committed uh, to this decision as far as I know. That said, he is on a a torrid pace. Um, You know, his OPS is over 1,000 right now. The guy has just been unbelievable. But you sort of... Do you expect it from a 40-year-old player? You know, I don't know, but do you expect it from David Ortiz? You kind of do, given what this guy has done in our time here. I mean, I've been with the Red Sox for every single game that David Ortiz has played. Mm. He's at another level. This is a really once-in-a-generation type of player, once-in-a-generation type of athlete for Boston. Um, He loves these moments. He loves the spotlight. He loves all eyes on me. So he is a a very unique athlete, and I think that you know one of the things that is fueling him is that this is his last year. Exactly. So I think that you know he's 
he's performing at this high level partially because he knows the eyes of the baseball world, the eyes of Boston are on him. So, but who knows? That said, I don't want to commit to anything because all I know is what he's told us, and and we're uh, we're going to see what happens. You just took the words out of my mouth because I've been trying to tell people this the last couple weeks. Is you know everybody wants him to not retire or is asking the question, you know, is he retiring? I say, no, he is retiring, and I believe him because that video on the Players' Tribune I thought was genuine, and I do think that part of the reason he is just dialed in right now is because he knows this is his last ride. This is it for him. And not to say that he shuts it down in previous seasons in the month of April, but I do think there's a human nature element to sort of go through the motions in a 162-game season on certain nights, especially early on in a season late in your career. But now that you know, hey, this is it. This is my last hurrah. I'm going out on top. I'm going to embrace every single moment. I think that, like you just said, is the reason why we're seeing him so dialed in because he knows when next April and May comes around, he won't be dialed in because he won't be playing the game. Yeah, you know, I I do think that is part of it. I really do. I mean, he is a guy that lives for the pressure being on, uh, important moments. We saw him carry this team 2004 postseason. Obviously, we know what he did in 07, Mm -hmm. 13. um, What he had, 700 in the World Series. I mean, the guy is is from another planet. But look, we, we just are so lucky to, to have had this guy a part of our organization, his wife Tiffany, D'Angelo and Alex, just they're a great family. I mean, opening day was so special with the anthem. And, um, you know, I'll tell you a little story. She she sang the anthem and yep. and uh, we kept it a surprise from him, which was really cool. He really didn't know. Um, Sarah McKenna is unbelievable. She made it happen. And I was down on the field and I saw him. He was tearing up. I mean, it was like legit. He was so nervous for his daughter to sing the anthem. He was really, really moved by it. And he came over, and I was standing there with a few colleagues, Jonathan Galula and and Tom Werner and John Henry were there and a few other folks, and he said, if you guys ever do that to me again, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) He was so (laughs) upset. Not upset. He was so happy that it was over and that she was successful in, in singing, but he was so emotional and then I think his first at bat, I think he went out and hit a double, like right off the bat. How do yeah. you do that? How do you collect yourself? How do you compartmentalize? But that's what makes him uh, a very, very, very special athlete. Uh, just a couple more for you because I know yep. I don't want to keep you here all night. We got a game happening very soon. Uh, but just to close out this Ortiz part of the conversation, you said you talked with Dave Dombrowski the other day. You were talking about him, how good he is, and is he really going to retire? I mean, has anybody approached David Ortiz just to confirm? Like, you're running the farewell tour. I mentioned the business side of it. You kind of want to know moving forward, right? You're like, hey, Big Poppy, let us know if you're not going to retire because we're going to hold off on the farewell tour maybe till next year. Has anybody approached him about that? No one's approached him uh, that, that that I know of. Uh-huh. I'm sure maybe John Farrell and Tori, you know, and Dave and Mike Hayes and those guys have joked around. If anything, people are probably try, trying to talk him out of retirement. Uh, and, you know, look, I, I have thought a lot about what is what do the Red Sox look like after David Ortiz, because that's part of my job, right, mm. is to think about the future and uh, planning for the future. And, and to be in a world, in a post-David Ortiz uh, world with the Red Sox is, is a scary thought, oh, given yeah. how what he means to this franchise. But no, there has not been discussion. Sort of letting him uh, kind of do his thing. And believe me, if he uh, if he changes his mind, I'm sure he, he would let us know. But no, there's been no discussion uh, other than this is the last year, and, and that's how we're operating. And no trying to convince him, <laughs> right? I may. 
may have uh, said a few things in <laughs> jest pregame, but uh, no, no, no formal convincing. Uh, it's safe to say that there'll be a 34 hanging up there at some point. Right, I mean that, that's that's an I think that's an obvious yes coming from you guys. We had Pedro last year. You got Wade Boggs this year. I mean, this is the David Ortiz farewell tour. At some point in the future, thirty four is going up there. Yeah, at some point, yes. And you know, we've used Cooperstown as sort of the measuring uh, stick for that honor. There's been some exceptions, obviously Johnny Pesky and the like. Mm-hmm. But um, we, uh, I, I would imagine, it is a safe bet uh, to think that someday uh, their number thirty four would be uh, would be properly uh, retired. And uh, obviously, that's a discussion for for another day. But I hope my hope, and I and I know John Henry and Tom Warner's hope is that uh, David Ortiz is is a part of this organization mm-hmm. uh, for forevermore, given what he's meant uh, to New England and our great fan base. And Wade Boggs, like I mentioned, with May 26th, right? Yep. Number 26. Yep. Tell me a little bit about that. I mean, how you came about with, with that, that, how that discussion came about and how you came to that conclusion. Yeah, well, that was um, that was an interesting one uh, because it was right about the time when, when I took over for Larry and, and you know, I... I probably have a personal bias given uh, that, you know, I was 13 years old in 1986. That was sort of my uh, time to fall in love with the Red Sox organization, Um, watch Wade Boggs night in and night out. And I think you did need to see him play night in and night out to really appreciate him. Um, Frankly, I think uh, when he went into Cooperstown uh, back in 2005, first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, it was probably the time uh, to to reach out and and retire that number. there was no reason why that didn't happen mm-hmm. other than there was a lot going on in the Red Sox organization with winning a World Series championship for the first time in 86 years. And there was a lot of other uh, alums that we uh, reached out and contacted. Uh, we, when when uh, Tom Werner and I, the day we called him to tell him, uh, he was so moved, he was so emotional, uh, and it meant a lot. And he clearly had felt uh, that this was uh, was something that the organization had missed. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, we've got it right right and we're going to be retiring that number 26 and it's going to go up where it belongs do you have discussions about those like different numbers and different players all the time because I I always look up and I'm like well I think 21 should be up there one day I mean nobody's won 21 since Roger Clemens um you know you could talk other players I mean you know with my in my time in my day watching this team you see 24 but David Price is wearing that right now I'm a big numbers guy and I hate it to see people wear number five like I hate seeing that um, but nobody's won 21, and I guess I see something like Boggs, and I think of Ortiz, well, 34 will be up there one day. Pedro, 45, went up there last year. I mean, do you have discussions ever about Clemens in 21, or is that something that you don't even acknowledge? Yeah, no, we do. We have discussions uh, all the time, uh, internally, formal, informal, and uh, these are really, really important uh, decisions mm. for, for the franchise and the organization, and given um, you know the, the Clemens era and, and our familiarity with that, obviously it's more recent history. Um, you know, he's someone that uh, is certainly deserving of consideration, worthy of consideration. There's a lot that goes into it. Uh, Cooperstown usually is sort of that first measurement. Uh, the second is length of service with the organization, uh, community involvement, uh, and time with the franchise. So um, there is a lot that goes into it. There's no hard and fast set rule or policy or corporate mandate that we have around it. It's uh, you know like the Boggs thing. That was that was pretty organic, and it, it the conversation 
started uh, late last fall, and um, I think we got it right. I'm excited for Wade and Debbie and the whole family. They'll all be here, and we're going to celebrate the 1980 team the night before, have that reunion, 30th nice. reunion, which will be cool. Uh, but so, yeah, we do talk about it, and, um, you know, I think when the media talks about it, it's a good thing. You know, it fuels the discussion and the debate amongst the fan base, and believe me, I've heard from a lot of folks about number 21, about number 25, mm-hmm. uh, about number mm-hmm. five. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of a lot of uh, deserving folks. It is the highest honor that an organization can bestow on someone. Uh, so it's really important, and we take it very seriously. And, and finally, last time I had you, I was asking you about events here at Fenway before we actually hit record. We were talking about uh, the snowboarding that was going on here. I sat behind home plate. I watched that. I'm not a snowboarding guy, but I loved every second of it. I thought that was great. I was here for Notre Dame, B.C., the football game uh, in the fall, and I thought that was great, even though I felt like I was at Notre Dame when I was walking around uh, here at Fenway. Uh, any Anything crazy? Because I actually asked you, I think, about WWE or UFC or a boxing event. Like, have you thought about something like that? Because I'm, I'm looking out your window right now, and I can just see Vince McMahon, <laughs> SummerSlam, right there in the middle. And I, if it happens, I want to be the ring announcer for the thing because I've been pushing for it for a long time with you. Uh, I was thinking about uh, Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. McGregor. I was going to say, <laughs> McGregor. I would have screwed that up. But uh, no, uh, you know, look, um, the Mayor Walsh and, and Ken Brissett and Dan Coe and everybody at the city deserve a ton of credit for driving new and different events to the city of Boston. It's it's important to them. Um, we've uh, we've worked closely with them. The Shamrock Series that we, uh, we stole that from uh, other cities. Other cities were bidding on that game. And we worked hard to bring that to Fenway Park. We worked hard to bring the snowboard and skiing event. Um, There's tremendous concert activity going on here. Uh, The Irish hurling was great. We'd like to bring that back. Mm. Uh, We'd like to bring Frozen Fenway back at some point soon. Um, And we'd like to try new and different things. You know, we're blessed to have an urban ballpark right downtown. Great location, accessible via public transportation. It's great for the city. It's great for the neighborhood uh, to do new and different things. Uh, And we appreciate the city's leadership this is a great venue and uh it's really a community-owned asset so the more new and different events we can do the better uh so we'll keep ufc out there uh i know dana white is a boston guy Uh there's actually a a plug for trinity college one of my uh trinity he was younger than me but a big wig at the ufc uh works out there a guy named craig borsari so there's a there's a, a few local connections boxing's been at fenway wrestling's been at fenway uh in the past so um i think everything is on the table all right sam listen thanks for having me um this view of fenway is amazing i i literally can't even get over it as i'm sitting there doing this podcast with you but hopefully i can get you on again sometime soon and we can do it again happy to do it danny keep up the good work thanks for being here thank you all right all right great stuff right there from sam kennedy special thanks to him for joining me earlier this week and inviting me into Fenway to record this podcast. A little programming note for you. On tomorrow's podcast, I'm going to play you a conversation that I had earlier this week with Ken Casey from Dropkick Murphys and Murphys Boxing. Ken Casey is currently down in Texas uh, recording a new record. And I talked to him about this new record and also talked to him about 
Some of the top stories in the world of boxing, uh, you know, one of his fighters, Mark DeLuca, a local kid, just had another big win. He's a middleweight, and the middleweight division is a hot topic in the world of boxing, as you know, with Triple G, with uh, Canelo Alvarez just knocking out Amir Khan on Saturday night, and now everybody wants to see Canelo Triple G. Will that happen? If it does, will it happen right away? We all want it to happen. Ken Casey being involved in the boxing world, in the promotional side of things with Murphy's Boxing, he had a great take on that fight and where boxing currently stands. We even got into some UFC because, you know, the rumors with someone like Conor McGregor possibly fighting Floyd Mayweather. I think that sounds a little crazy. I do think Mayweather's going to fight, but it was interesting to get Ken Casey's take on that. And of course, he's a very passionate Boston sports fan, as you know. So he had some pretty good takes on some of the things going on with these teams right now, not just the Red Sox and the David Ortiz farewell tour, but also a team that he loves, the Bruins. The Bruins season, as you know, has been over for a while now. They did not make the playoffs for the second straight year. And Ken Casey, as he usually does when he comes on this show, had a very strong opinion on what the Bruins look like as of right now as they get into this offseason, a very important offseason for the Bruins. So that's on tomorrow's podcast. Ken Casey from Dropkick Murphys and Murphys Boxing. Make sure you tune into that. You can get this show whenever you want. I broadcast five days a week. Listen and subscribe at dannypicard.com. Also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Google Play Music Store, anywhere. Podcasts are available. And make sure you follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all forms of social media. I'm out. Talk to you tomorrow.